Hey guys, it's Josh. It is uh there nope. Friday. That's when you'll be getting this episode. Friday the 9th of October. Uh this episode is from earlier in this week. <clears throat> it's an episode with actress Margot Quinn. You've seen Margot on uh a bunch of different movies. You probably maybe not. Maybe you ain't seen shit. <laughs> I don't know. Um you've seen Margot Quinn on a couple of movies. Uh, and you're about to see her on a lot more. I don't know. Um, I'll tell you one movie that I think you'll see her on, and we talk about it in this episode. It has to do with a little bit of a famous fighter uh, who I think should be very good to play. Uh, and we talk about that in the episode. We talk about a couple other things. Um, here we go. Mark, I can't believe I didn't have these answers. You know, the, the problem with, like, independent films is that I, there are so many of Attack of the Unknown was the thing I was trying to think. I was thinking Attack the Block, and I'm like, no, that's the English movie from years ago. There are so many of these like independent films that have like similar or close names, and I always get them mixed up, and I didn't want to do that. So Attack of the Unknown, um, you've also seen her in Art of the Dead, Turnover, Ham on Rye, The Sand Dune. Um, she's in an upcoming series called The Oath. Uh, she's got another movie coming out. Uh, soon called Angel of Death. So a lot of uh, a lot of cool stuff coming up from Margot Quinn. Uh, one of them is not this podcast. <laughs> this podcast is not cool, uh, but it's very cool when cool people decide to come be on it. And uh, we had a good time. We talked about uh, auditioning and what it's been like to be an actor during COVID nineteen during the pandemic. Uh, we talk about some kind of dark stories about auditioning for movies that may or may not be real. And this is something that happens a lot. Uh, I have a lot of friends who work in the business. And I shouldn't say happens a lot. Happens to women a lot where, you know, they'll be like, there There are so many of these castings that I see on like um, Actors Access or uh, Backstage where it's like, come to this audition. It's in an alley in Van Nuys. You know, just text this number when you get here and we'll tell you where to go. It's like, that's a rape. Don't go to that. If you're going to the, like, so I think some women move to LA and they go like, no, this is what it is. These are the breaks and this, you got to be willing to go places. Other people, no, stop it. You're going to get Weinsteined. Just stop it. <laughs> okay. If it looks like a, a fucking shitty, crazy place, don't go. Or maybe go because it might be an audition for a thousand ways to die, which I tell a story about uh, a horrible audition experience I had for that old piece of shit on Spike TV. So, and if you're listening to this and you worked on that show, you know, it was a piece of shit and don't be offended. You're glad you don't work on it anymore. Hopefully you found something better. You're probably working on the new hit series, mass singer, which I think we can all agree is the pinnacle of what Hollywood was always meant to be. Uh, and the thing that's great about that concept is that it's built around has-beens and we're never going to run out of those. So I hope you guys enjoy it. This episode, by the way, brought to you by The Mass Singer, the only place where you can hate the Jews and still host a TV show. Hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again. Because a vision softly creeping Left its seeds while I was sleeping And the vision that was planted in my brain Still remains 
there's two ways to see things like in the world. One is to try to find a way to laugh at it, and the other is to just live a miserable existence where you're unhappy about everything. What the fuck is that? You merely adopted the dark. I was born in it. <laughs> <laughs> that seems really dark. No, no, it's not dark. You're misunderstanding me, bro. This is going to get dark for people. No! God, please, no! Do you think that anybody that does enjoy dark comedy, that it's indicative of a deeper evil? I'm in the dark here! Do you understand? I'm in the dark! There we go. But yeah, that's. I, I think you're... You started to say, uh, we were talking about college campuses, and I was saying that like UCLA is very international. SC is sort of like very uh, kind of like, I-, I would say, upper, upper class, you know, America. I mean, it's rich parents. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, if the as if the college admission scandal, Lori Laughlin thing didn't sort of tip everyone off to that. But I was saying uh, LMU is sort of like the last... Um, or one of the few kind of college experiences in LA that is like the rest of America. And you would know that because you're also from the Midwest, right? Yeah, I'm from South Dakota. So being out, I went to LA yesterday. I'm right now I'm in San Clemente living. So I went to LA yesterday to get my hair cut. And which is something we haven't really been able to do. Yeah. I'm, I have like some underground, uh, lady that like doesn't believe in wearing masks either so i'm like i walk in and i'm like ripping the mask off <laughs> like <"Bring." laughs> isn't that but, isn't that weird how you know like the the all of the sort of regulatory stuff and shutdowns have us have us doing like normal business on a black market level literally. you know like if you're trying to get a haircut you're like you got to talk to your friends and you got to find somebody who's like i got a guy i got a guy yeah, who's got a garage. my ex reached out to me she, he was like I see you're getting your hair cut. Where? And I'm like, <laughs> some lady in LA, don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because, well, you also don't want to like blow these people's spot up either. You don't want to get anybody. Exactly. In but it is funny. Like, it is funny. I, I, I usually drive. When I first moved to LA, I lived in Long Beach and I would get my hair cut at this place, this really cool old school barber uh, shop called Razorbacks, which is on 4th and Long Beach. And it's, you know, it's like, you know, a lot of dudes with like curly mustaches and stuff cutting your hair. And, um, you know, I, I haven't gone back because they've been closed. And, you know, like my guy, uh, you know, he lives, I think he lives even further south from the shop than Long Beach. So to go to him would be like a two hour drive. So I've just been like buzzing my head, you know, through all of COVID because I'm just like, it, you know, I can't, I, yeah. I, it gets annoying after a while, but it's also like, I'm not going to go pay somebody, you know, 200 I've bucks. I've been my family's hair. Have you really? Yeah. I found out, like, I can cut my dad's hair. Yeah. I'm like an undercover. Well, my dad has, my dad is balding, so it's not like it's very, it's all one length. Yeah. There's not a, so, there's not a lot of skin in the game for that one. Now I can put on my resume, I can cut, like, a very specific group of people's hair. <laughs> People whose hair left them long ago. Yeah. You're like, I can trim those who are almost out of the hair game. Exactly. I can trim, but that's about it. Yeah. But, yeah. anyways, what were we saying? No, you were talking about being from the Midwest. Well, yeah. So I went up to get my hair cut and just 
five minutes of being in Toluca Lake, I was like, oh my gosh, these people are not as friendly. No, like <laughs> definitely not. Whoa. It's like, I was just reminded and I literally hadn't been anywhere yet. I had only been to my house and then I was driving, which my hair salon is right down the street from my house. I was still in my neighborhood and people are like, so like I smile at them in the car and they're looking at me like I just did something or want something from them. I'm like, I'm just waving. I'm sorry. Like my bad. Do you feel like COVID has made that worse in LA that people are even more sort of like distant and standoffish? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. It, yeah. I'm like, I go anywhere and I, if I cough, I'm, I'm like, oh no. That's what did funny. I do? That, that's but, funny. It, it's terrifying. It's terrifying to cough anywhere. Yes. It's like, uh, it's worse than like farting. <laughs> um, I mean, so I definitely, in- definitely for girls, I'm sure that you know, for guys, <laughs> so they were like, yeah, far, like, farting is a normal part of everything. Up, if you cut a big one in like public, that's pretty bad for anyone, unless you're I good at cleaning it on. Something. I feel like I feel like when if I do it, people expect it from me. They just look at me and they go, "Yeah, that sounds about right." <laughs> that's what I think. That's what I think that guy would do. Yeah. Uh, for no, you, on the I, other I, hand, though, I think people would be like, "What the fuck is it?" What's okay. <laughs> Exactly. I'd have to turn around too. Yeah, like, 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 somebody, somebody from over there did that. Yeah, no, not me. But I was walking into Starbucks and I like I was like, oh no, I can't open the door. I'm about to sneeze. And I sneezed with my mask on. And the and guy you still feel me, paranoid. Bless you. And I was like, I feel like I just wet my pants. <laughs> like, what, what was I supposed to do? Yeah. Yeah, it is a <laughs> It is a weird feeling. It's so weird. I it's all the time. Like if I'm in a grocery store and it's kind of strange because I feel like it only happens when I'm in the grocery store, but like I'll get, if I get like heartburn or something that makes me cough, I'm panicking. Cause like even like coughing or clearing your th- or coughing to clear your throat in public now, like you'll get everyone in the sections looking at you. Like exactly. Like, are you the one? Yeah. Uh, we're yeah. all going down. Like, well, and the, and the other thing too, is like, I, if I'm around people that are like, do we have to do masks? And then I'll be like, no, no, it's fine. Like, I'm pretty sure I already had it. And then people will like panic. They're like, what? Like when? And it's like, probably eight months ago, man. Yeah. Like, oh, exactly. <laughs> it's like, I'm, I'm pretty sure most of us have either. I, I honestly feel like to have not had it at all at this point is very unlikely for most people. Oh, are you saying like, I'm a superhero if I haven't had it. If you haven't had it I'm in these anointed, yeah. I want to be put in a town hall. You, you might want to be careful with how much recognition you get for not having it because there, <laughs> there, are, there are some people who might be like, we need her blood. She has the, she has the antidote. No, I'm sure I had it because I've been flying around so much still. Like I go back to the Midwest for the summer and then I mm-hmm. come back. So I've been trying to be safe because, I mean, I am going to see family and I'm not going to quarantine for like two weeks because right. I don't have to quarantine and then see them. Right. Because that's over my trip. Yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of funny because you look at these people like, I'm quarantining for two weeks after my vacation. Like, How do you have the time to do that? Yeah. I'd love to. Sure. Yeah. But 
I just can't do that. So. I almost feel like quarantining was invented by people who wanted more vacation days. And they're like, I, th- I think I was around somebody who has it. I guess I'm going to need another two weeks off exactly. working from I'm, home. I was watching some comedian and he was saying like, when they were all figuring out all the COVID stuff, they were like, uh, how, how many, six feet, we should be six feet apart. And some guy's like, why six feet? He's mm-hmm. like, because we're not on the metric system. I don't know. And <laughs> another guy is like, we, we all need to quarantine. Like, we, we need to quarantine. Everybody needs to quarantine. They're like, okay. But we've heard that if you, like, go outside in the sun, like, in hot weather, like, that can kill the virus. Like, it's fine. Mm-hmm. He's like, yeah, everyone is lo- on lockdown orders. They need to be inside. Like, what what is this? Like- yeah, it's kind of weird how everybody sort of has like different paranoias around it or whatever. One of the things that I thought was funny is um, there's a movie called Five Feet Apart, which um, Haley Lou Richardson is in, and it's about cystic fibrosis. Yeah. And I was like, wait a minute. So cystic fibrosis, which I think we can all agree is way more deadly uh, and and those folks are way more fragile than people with COVID. And we're like, that's only five feet, but COVID, six, you got the extra foot in there, six it, feet for COVID. Yeah, I mean, it. I feel like we're just not being told all the right information. Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty crazy. I wanted it's to ask sad. you, bro. It's sad. I wanted. Yeah. I, well, and I think you know. Um, I think at the end of the day, you just kind of, as a person, you just have to make a choice. Like, are you going to go about living your life or are you going to sort of live in fear? It was kind of like this after, I mean, I don't know if you, you were probably way too young to remember, but it was kind of like this after nine 11, there were some people after nine 11 who were like, you know, I don't want to go outside. I don't want to go to big events. I don't want to go in big groups. I lived in Minnesota when 9-11 happened. And I remember people being like, I don't want to go to the mall of America. Cause that all that amount of me- that amount of people could be a target. And I was like, I'm pretty sure on the list of terrorist, you know, targets, mall of America is probably like, not. Going to Minnesota. Yeah. <laughs> like let's get a, let's get them where the retail lives. There are 15 <laughs> lids in that mall. We can kill everybody. Like, I don't think that's, I don't think Mall of America was ever on Al Qaeda's hit list. They're like, you know, Twin Towers, Pentagon, and then probably Mall of America would be. (laughs) (laughs) But there were literally people that felt that way. There's like, you know, Mall of America. That's a, you know, it's a pretty big deal. I mean, I can only imagine how scary that is. But I mean, eventually life has to go back to normal. Yeah. Or somewhat normal. I mean, things change from that. Our normal got different. Yeah. How, how is it really... I mean, one of the things that I think is interesting to talk to you about is how have you felt it affect the process of filmmaking? Because obviously, as you know, an actress who does a lot of sort of indie stuff, um, h- how has that sort of changed? I'm sure... There are so many scripts and stuff come across your desk about like COVID centric horror movies and yes. sci-fi movies and stuff. Gosh, it's like, dude, I'm, I'm, I can walk outside. I don't need to go watch a movie about it. Yeah. But, um, there's been a crazy amount of auditions lately. I, I mean, as an actor and someone in the industry, you know that it comes in waves, oh, but, yeah. um, yeah, people are just writing away right now. They are writing away and they are films. I have filmed one movie during COVID and I'd say that people were all wearing masks. 
Um, I, I don't think it was, it wasn't a Hollywood, like a big, yeah. big um, budget film. So they couldn't really sanitize the way you'd think they were going to. Mm-hmm. But I mean, everyone was wearing masks until you were talking. Yeah. It's, it's different because then you get with people on set that are very like COVID strong. Like you can't wear your mask. Like you need to be wearing your mask at all times. And then there's people that don't really care. Mm-hmm. So it kind of makes it's like a, it's like everywhere else is what you're saying. Like you know, yeah, it's it's weird. Yeah, some people are some people are pretty whatever about it. Other people are like very very paranoid. Like tight about we'll it. pull over on the side of the road to tell you to put your mask on. <laughs> right. Yeah. So these are the people that are wearing like ventilators in their car while they're by themselves right. when they're driving home from work. Yeah, it's it's interesting, but I as I was talking to one of my friends at a Universal, and he was saying that they it's going to cost another seventy thousand dollars per movie to do the sanitation process. Just that piece, just yeah. the sanitation process. That's pretty significant, and and people think like, well, that's you know, if a budget for a movie is like you know sixty million, seventy million, or something like that, that's not a lot. But it's like, yeah, but you got to realize that number one, that's maybe the budget for five percent of movies or less. Uh, most exactly. movies are made for under five million bucks, and so when you add that seventy thousand dollar expense, to that's a lot. A hundred movies in the production slate at the end of the year, it's pretty significant. It's crazy. So it's like a sticker shock to even these big corporations that are like Warner Brothers, Universal. They're like, oh my gosh. Like, yeah. And they have to go through a lot more protection. I mean, think of just in regular TV shows, how many extras there are. Like Grey's Anatomy, how many doctors and patients are in the background? Like, Wow. Yeah, there was, um, there was like, there's an interesting part about it too, because when you get like, when you get casting notifications or if you get like any background things or anything like that, you'll look and you'll see, like, one of the things I saw recently was that game show, or not game shows, but like hosted reality. So I think it was, I think it was Chrissy Teigen's, um, uh, what's the Quibi? Is that what it, yeah. I think it was her Quibi court show and they were doing like audience for that. And the audience basically had to be like put in a hotel and sequestered for X number of days. I mean, they basically had to give up like a week of their life just to be like background paid audience on a Quibi show. And I was just like, where are these people getting the budgets to do this stuff for these shows that are so tiny? You know, but I mean, first of all, what you get paid a hundred bucks to be an extra? I know, maybe like so maybe a hundred a day. Yeah, yeah. So it's I, kind of like I, I was, I, I just look at that stuff and I go, like, man, I can't. I, I know that's how a lot of people kind of break into the business, but I was like, I can't imagine doing that. Of like, you know, giving up essentially like ten days of your time for three shoot days. You're making like three hundred bucks and. And by the way, these people had to be tested in and out every day. And if you've had a COVID test, you're just like, some of them are okay. Some of them are very unpleasant. It kind of depends on what doctors you get. 
Yeah. Yeah, no fact. I saw one COVID test where the guy, it was on Facebook, obviously. So the COVID test, like, went up. He sucked in the thing, the testy thingy. Oh, the swab? Nose, yes. Oh, no. It got stuck. He looked at the lady, and the lady was like, you just, like, sucked in my swab. Like, blow it out. Yeah. And he was like, what? 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 And so he had to, like, clog his other nostril and, like, blow it out. He was was like, okay, like, this has never happened before. Yeah. Yeah, there's all kinds of, like, I don't know, man, that the... I'm very weird about, I don't know how you are about like medical stuff, but I'm very weird about certain things. Like I, for me to give blood, it has to be like a serious life or death uh, situation. Like that's how much I hate giving blood. Um, Like I thought I had a heart attack one time. I went into the hospital and they hooked up the EKG and they're like, well, we can rule out a heart attack, but we want to take blood. And I was like, listen, if it wasn't a heart attack, uh, I'm out. Unhook me and I'm going home. Like, I'm not staying here to run labs or whatever. Like, if it was either a heart attack or it wasn't. And they're like, well, we have to figure out what it was. And I go, well, we know it wasn't a heart attack, so unhook me. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, like... Yeah, no, I have no problem. Like, no problem at all. I had... um in ankle surgery when I was a freshman in high school and he ruined my ankle. Oh no. I had to go and do a lot of different pokes and pricks and spinal injections and steroids and surgery. So that is nothing to me. Did you get your, did you get your full range of motion back or do you own that doctor's practice now? (laughs) Um, I wish. I th- it's very hard to sue a doctor just because when you're not suing a doctor, you're suing an entire hospital. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I so, imagine for surgery. Yeah, yeah, you're in an elevator later that time I had to go and try and find someone to fix it. So, no, I do have my range of motion back. I found a doctor that was a specialty doctor three years later. Well, and that's good. He, I ended up renting my house to him. It was really weird. That's strange. Yeah. That's a strange way to meet, you know, the guy who fixes your ankle. But that's, that's how you know everything happens for a reason. Well, that's a good mentality to have. I try to, I try to have that mentality as much as possible. But there are a lot of moments throughout life, the longer it goes, where you're like, I really hope these things are all happening for a good reason because <laughs> it's starting to feel like a lot of it is not. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, there's oh, like, it's, it's t- sometimes it's tough to that's one thing I think is kind of funny about Hollywood and I tell people all the time is like I feel like people are very good at having that mentality when things are going well um, you know so like a lot of times and I've always said this is one of the things that I think holds me back in my career is that you'll see like you'll have friends that are other actors or performers or whatever and they'll get something and they're like margo this is just the universe laying my future out in front of me the way it was intended like this is what i'm destined to do i am the chosen one and this is how everything is supposed to go and i just have never had that kind of perspective like that mentality of like yeah uh i'm destined to do these things i feel like like when you get those things you should be very you should feel very fortunate um, that you have an opportunity to do that. And it's like, 
you know, I, I feel like so much more of it is like luck or circumstances than fate, you know, and it's, it's hard for me. Like, I don't have sort of this unwavering belief that I'm, uh, everything that's happened to me is because I'm destined for some kind of greatness. I think, I think you kind of got to be a little sick to think of it to that level. I agree. Yeah. Uh, because in the film industry, everything can be taken away from you so quickly. Yeah. And so it's like, you can't, I mean, you can get mixed up with the wrong people and just completely ruin your career. Yeah. I, my first, you wanted me to think of something dark to talk about. Of always. I thought about what my first real like experience in the movie industry. So I was being called to be interviewed for this, or I was having this audition at, for this horror film. And I was like, this is pretty cool. I've only lived in LA or in California, six months or like four months. Like this is pretty very cool. Quick. Like it's, yeah, happening. Very it's happening. And my dad's looking into it. The guy's having us come to Culver studios, like, to do the audition like this is the real thing i'm there for four hours he's talking to me like this is unheard of in auditions auditions right. are in and out yeah, like, it's like five minutes or less if sure. you're lucky you get five minutes yeah because that means they that you said a joke that probably made them laugh and they said something else like you know it, it's very to the point on to the next and I'm there for four hours. This guy didn't make me really audition. He was just like kind of feeling me out. Like Mm -hmm. just kind of, I had my manager there with me. So it wasn't, I wasn't uncomfortable. Yeah. It wasn't like, it wasn't like you were being sort of fed to the sharks. Exactly. No. And uh, I was like, this is awesome. You know, like this is going to happen. We are here for four hours. So I went home and then, he was like, yeah, you, I have another film that I want you to be on and come back like next week. So I got out of school early. I went to this meeting. This guy, it was all a hoax. This the whole guy, thing. the whole thing. I'm so the another movie. The other movie was real. And the guy was like, uh, talking to my manager saying like, you shouldn't have Margo sign these contracts yet. We are, aren't sure what the whole thing is. We're having lawyers look into the contracts more. Mm-hmm. My manager was like, okay, Margo, you're not going to sign contracts today. And I was like, okay, cool, whatever. Like I'll go walk around like the other sets and stuff and explore and get lunch and everything. So I'm walking around. Like I, I'm looking, I run into celebrities. Like I'm, I see. Eric you, when you say you're Culver City, were you at Sony? Or um, or uh, what at Culver? Like what lot were you on in Culver? I it was where they were shooting some Eric Danes film. I don't know what lot it was. It might have been the Sony lot. It was huge. Yeah, it was probably if it was in Culver City, it was probably Sony. Yeah, and, or Sony, and then it used to be Columbia TriStar was there too, and then now it's all under the Sony umbrella. But that that I was gonna say that that cafeteria area is very cool because it's still very like 1950s vibe on the Columbia TriStar side. So when you're walking around there, 
you recognize those build. They still use those buildings in a ton of sets like that show. What was the Ryan Murphy show they just had with where it was like in the, a reimagining of the fifties Hollywood time. Oh, uh, it was on Netflix. Hold on, I'm trying to think. Um, uh, Maude Apatow was in it. It was like, but anyway, a lot of it was shot. Let me find it. Uh, right on that lot. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of it was shot in that. The one with like the, the, yeah, it was, hold on. Let me find this. Um, oh, Hollywood. It was just called Hollywood. That's how stupid I am. Um, <laughs> but yeah, a, a lot of it was shot on that, that cl- old Columbia TriStar side of uh, Sony, which is right where the cafeteria is. And I went there for a meeting one time and it is like you said, like people don't realize Seth Rogen's company offices out of that lot, Brian Cranston, um, his production company offices there. So like when you go and have lunch at that cafeteria, it's like, you're literally sitting down and like Adam Sandler and his team are having lunch over to your right. And then it's like the point gray guys are over here. It's one of those lunches where you're like, I made it. Well, it's also weird like, too because it's like a high school cafeteria vibe, and then you're seeing like all these famous people around. So you're just like, "This is strange." It's so weird. So yeah. I'm walking around, and I Eric Dane, and these people, depending on who you run into, obviously, but you're inside the lot, so you're like almost like un, like brought into this special group where they're okay with like talking to you. Yeah. You know, you're not some crazy person. Yeah, it's not like running into them on the street. Exactly. So yeah. this guy like pulls over and is talking to me and I was like, and my co-star that I was with. And I was like, holy crap, that was Eric Dane. You, you just pulled over and talked to us. And he was one of the doctors on Grey's Anatomy. He was in so many films. Anyway. He's a very, he's a very handsome dude. Obviously. He is so yummy. Yeah. And he's called McSteamy for a reason. Yeah. So I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Little did I know that my manager's inside realizing this is like a load of shit. Well, the other thing I was going to mention about that when we were saying like you go on those uh, studio lots and you're like, oh my God, there's this person and this person, and this person. But the other thing you don't realize is that like anybody who wants to pay to rent an office there that's a production company can. Like they're not sort of like closed leasing. So there can be like completely fraudulent production companies or producers that just happen to rent an office on the Sony lot and commit a shit ton of fraud with people because there's like this built in trust because they're on the Sony lot. Exactly. And what was it? Exactly that. This guy rented the office space. Yeah. So he's just paying a lease. He's just leasing space. He's not really endorsed by Sony or anyone else at the studio. We didn't find that out right away. We're like doing research on this guy, but we're like, you know, we're going to go with a different director. He ends up bringing me on another film. And I was like, I don't know this guy enough yet to like really say no. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't have any proof. And these contracts aren't binding where I'm going to be in trouble in some way, you know? Yeah, or can't do other work or anything. Exactly. So I was like, I'll go on this other set. And I do it. And I get on set. And this guy is having me talk about him and do a video on how amazing set was and how amazing it was to work with him. 
and everybody on the cast before I've even filmed one second of this film. Wow. And I ended up, I'm like pulling this out of my ass. Like I'm just saying like, yeah, this is really great. Like it's like a family. I'm like, this guy's making me say this. Like, I'm not, this isn't me. Like, I don't know this yet. Like, I don't know if it'll be true. He ended up, like, scamming them. Like, if I were to even tell you his name and you look him up, you wouldn't find him because he's changed his name already to do it again. Like, that's how ridiculous it is. You can't call this guy up. He was fake. He was a fake dude. Yeah, I mean, there's so many. Those are horrible. I mean terrifying stories you hear about and particularly for young actresses and like particularly for young actresses versus actors but you know it's kind of funny like i've i've found myself in similar situations as a dude when i first moved to la and i wasn't that i wasn't that old when i first moved here i was 26 um but i remember going into like so many situations where and the scary thing is is that the super legit ones aren't necessarily that much more cleaned up from the super shady shitty ones like you know when you go into like a shitty scary like low budget audition with a bunch of people where you're like is this a company or is this a front for something and then you go into the offices for cbs to do an audition for them you're like there's not a lot of difference it's not like the cbs thing is like a bunch of people in suits sitting around a table it's just as like casual and laid back and the office is just as messy. And there's they're wearing like, their graphic tee of their favorite, like Disney Pixar. Like these yeah. people are not what you think. You know, like, and they're you don't go to a coffee shop and be like, or like even like um, a subway and say, oh yeah, that guy's working for the big leagues. Yeah, and and that's the thing that's scary about it is like I remember I did um, I did an audition for a Spike show. So when I first moved to LA, I signed with like this very um, small boutique agency out of Long Beach that my buddy had signed with. Um, and it was with a woman named uh, Judy Belsh Turnblom. I don't know if you know Judy, but she's like been a long time casting person and then like started her own, you know, management or agency or whatever. I think she was a management company. And she was like, she met me and, and was like, looked at my, my comedy stuff and was like, I like you. I think you're good. I want to send you on stuff. Like I want to sign you. And it was similar to your story. Like I had moved to town. I had been in town for like a month and I was like already signing with this boutique agency. And I was like, that's cool. And she started sending me out on tons of stuff. Um, but it was all like very sort of like low budget, uh, cable stuff. And the biggest audition she sent me on was for a show called uh, Spike T. Spike TV had a show that was like a thousand way or ten thousand ways to die or something like that, and it was like yeah. a clip show of all of these like very morbid, um, dumb ways to die. Yeah, dumb ways that people actually died, and it was a thousand ways to die, a thousand ways to die, and um, so I had to go in an audition, and this thing was at like a middle school in the valley. And I walk and I was like, this can't be legit. Like, and it was funny because I, I was dating a girl at the time who still lived in Minnesota. She had come to visit me. And, uh, so I'm like, yeah, I got this, like this audition that we're like this serious audition. And she drives with me and we're driving through like, you know, a fucking middle school in Van Nuys or something. And she's like, is this, this is where your audition is? And I was like, yeah, I guess so. 
and what like are we you auditioning for so we huh? like yeah it's like so we walk in i walk into it and it's literally like there's it's like four metal like high school chairs where people are sitting with like clipboards and releases on them and then like sides for the part you're reading for and it was literally just like a dude who looked like an old woodworker, like a, like a 65-year-old guy with like a long white beard. And he's like, okay, uh, for your scene that you're auditioning for, uh, you're a guy whose beard gets caught in machinery and then he dies, act it out. And I was just like, oh, like this is so weird. Like what a weird – and there's no dialogue. There's no lines. So you just literally have to, it's like walk into this middle school and pretend to die. That was the audition. And was I remember walking. Your audition was, too? Yeah. And I was just like, yeah, that was mine. And I was just like, uh, okay. So I, you know, you do it. And I walked out and I was like, I feel like I would have more dignity if I just left a porno. Like that <laughs> felt more, it felt more degrading and more like gross than if I more just wrong. walked out yeah, of getting fucked by 10 guys. Like that's hysterical. Cause that was like an actual big show. Yeah. Like, and that was on Spike like TV. In the wall, like creepy, like on at midnight show. Like this was a show that I rem- vividly remember watching and thinking it was like jaw dropping, like people die in the weirdest ways. So I can only imagine their improv auditions. Oh, it was so, and it wasn't even like coming and do 10 of these things. It was like, they had me in for one and one only. Um, and I guess it was because I had like enough beard where they were like, well, we could put the prosthetic on him like beard extensions to to play this part. And that's why I got called in for it. The other thing I got called in for, and this is like, this is kind of funny. I I would have booked this if I didn't have a conflict, but do you remember boost mobile? Yes. So she was casting a boost mobile commercial and the concept was like inopportune moments. So the, the boost mobile, if you remember back in the day was like a walkie talkie phone and you could just, like chirp somebody and start talking. And if they were around someone else, um, they would hear your conversation. There was no way for you to filter that conversation out. And so the concept of the commercial that, that me and this other guy read for and, and booked, but I had a conflict was uh, his friend chirps him and says the girl he went home with last night was disgusting and he's in bed with me and doesn't realize that I'm not like, didn't know that I was not a woman. And ah. so, and so I was like, listen, everybody's going to play this um, super, like super gay. I go, we should play it as like two guys who don't even see that there's a problem with what we just did. Like I go, everyone's going to put like every person that plays my part is going to play it super femi, like they're pretending to be a woman. And I go, I think it's funny if we just lay into the fact that we're both dudes and we both, like, we're both trying to forget what happened kind of a thing. You made a choice and you went with it. Yes, we made, and we committed. Like, we were, like, damn near making out in the audition. Like, we fucking went for it. And the guys were like, we practically booked it in the room. Like, I walked out and Judy was like, I think you guys booked that in the room. Like, I think you're done. And it was like, you know, would have paid like two, it was like a $2,000 gig, you know, at, with like one time deal. There was no um, residuals or anything for it. It was like a $2,000 buyout. It was super little. 
And I, and they, they wanted to shoot it when I had this huge uh, work meeting at, for my day job in Denver. And I was like, well, I can't miss that week of meetings to do like a $2,000 gig. Like, uh, you know, it's, it's yeah. like our year end meeting. And I just ended up not being able to do it. You'd be fired. <laughs> yeah. I would have lost my job, you know, for the rest of the year to do like a two day. Like one month's rent in LA. <laughs> yeah. exactly. Yeah. It was exactly a month of my rent at the time. I had like a little bachelor pad house in long beach and that was exactly what it cost every month. So it was like, you know, it's, it's sort of like you want to do those things and they're cool and they're fun, but it, you know, sometimes like those, those low budget things are just so, tiny that you've really got to like weigh is it worth it or whatever and then the crazy thing is is uh while i was represented by her meg simon who at the time was like the head of cbs just randomly um like randomly found me on youtube she was looking for like chubby comedians and she's like i have this new show that i want you to come in and read for the lead on and the show ended up being mike and molly and so like so my first response to like to doing that audition, I went in and there's like a ton of other people, like other really famous people in the room reading for this part. And I went in and read, and I also brought like my own version of the script, basically like what my improvisations would be. So like changing the dialogue and kind of tweaking it to fit the way that I would do the character. Because my thought was like, well, if I can't get this part, I might be able to get a job writing on the show or might be able to get my name in as a writer. And so... Um, I went in and like, I was like, I've got three different ways to do it and did it. And, uh, and who knows if that was the right choice or if that was kind of, like, I do remember, um, the main guy, what the fuck is his name? Uh, who did Mike and Molly. And he also did, um, God, I'm drawing a blank on his name. He also did, uh, big bang theory. What's the guy's name? I'm drawing a Chuck Lorre. Chuck Lorre. Yeah. Chuck Lorre. I remember Chuck Lorre being like, you did rewrites on the sides. And I was like, yeah. And he goes, that's pretty fucking ballsy. And I was like, yeah, I'm like, I go, I wasn't trying to offend anybody. I just, you know, I'm a comedian. I'm not an actor. I don't think I'm going to wow you with my performance. If I have any chance of wowing you, it's going to be with my words and you know, my dialogue choices or whatever. He's like, okay, fair enough. But, um, but then I remember, Cool. Yeah, and then I remember, and then I remember leaving there and calling my my manager at the time and being like, uh, "Yeah, so I just finished this audition with CBS for a lead in their new show," and she was like, "How did you get that?" And I go, "The woman who's the head of CBS just emailed me and asked me to go in for it," and um, and I was like, "Judy, how come you're not sending me out on stuff like this?" And she's like, "You're." <laughs> She's like, you're not ready for it. And I go, obviously, that doesn't matter. They just sent me in. And that show ended up being massive. Exactly. And so, yeah. you know, I, I share that story to be like, like, nobody really knows what the fuck they're doing in this. bit. It's all just like taking shots, trying your best and, and hoping that the right things land that give you really cool opportunities. And it's all about who you know. It is. Yeah. Or who you don't know, because I didn't know anybody for Good that audition point. and like that that was like completely like completely out of the blue and i ended up like i ended up running into another comedian i knew from chicago there and we, we both read for it and i was like all right well neither of us are going to get this gig so what like it's kind of weird to be in the room with like two other unknown comedians and then like five a-list actors that are also <laughs> reading for those parts 
And so you just walk. I mean, I don't know if you've been in that situation auditioning, but you kind of walk out and you're like, there's no fucking way I'm getting this if yeah, those other five guys I, are reading for that part. I, I don't know. I still, I don't walk out like that. I, I, when I leave an audition room, I leave the audition there. Like I, like you get a hundred no's before you get one. Yes. So it's That's like true. odds that you get that are so slim anyways. I mean, that was huge that you got past, like, the first five rounds yeah. with these A-listers. I yeah. mean, you know, you went, you passed a lot of rounds before you got to the end. What and, yeah, you-, you didn't make it to the very end, but, I mean, there were a lot of rounds after you, too. For sure, yeah. I mean, and I, I'm pretty sure I made it into the first round. But it is kind of cool, you know, like, what I tell people is, like, you know, yes, it's a little bit of who you know, but don't be afraid to take chances either because um, that is, to me, that was proof that like even on the biggest shows or even on the biggest movies, sometimes these people are completely open to having their idea of the character changed. Like oh. where they're willing to see people that they've never heard of, that they don't know, that they've never seen, and that could completely change their vision for the project. So you, you have to kind of have a little bit of faith in your abilities to where when that opportunity comes up, you don't like scoff at it. You actually go like, Oh wow, this could, this actually could be something and you have to kind of take it seriously and do your best. But yes, the chance, like the reality is your chances of getting that are not really any less than your chances of getting anything. Um, you know, so you kind of got to play them the same way. Like you got to commit. I had one of those experiences where it was kind of like, they don't necessarily know what they want all the time. Right. Yeah. You know, like they don't know what they want till they see it. And then they know what they don't want, you know? Yes. But I was on, I was doing some audition that it was for a Doritos commercial for the Super Bowl, And it was Which back. They play very well. Yeah. yeah. Very beginning of my career. Like one of those things where you're like, why am I auditioning for this? Like, <laughs> Like, hmm. They're like, you look like Doritos. Yeah, I, it was back when zombies were really in like six years ago. And um, it was like, it, it ended up not even airing. It wasn't even one of the uh, commercials, but they didn't choose me because they went with a girl that was blonde to offset the brunette boy. Oh, okay. So it's like, it was one of those things that I just got to the end and I ended up just not being the right hair color. Yeah. And it's like, that's the thing that people don't realize either is that sometimes it can come down to something as simple as that of like, well, we already have somebody that looks like this or fits this profile or whatever. And we're trying to they already have the boy casted. Yeah. So they're like, we want, it's like, it's not that you're not good. It's literally that we just think the blonde girl's going to compliment the brunette better than brunette. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. like, okay, <laughs> bye. Well, and there, yeah, I mean, there's things, and there's things like that that, like, there's nothing you can do about that. Like, there's just, you know, you can't uh, not be yourself. Like, you can't just become something you're not. And that's one of the things that, like, uh, I think a lot of people are sort of pushing back in the business. Like, my last episode, we had a producer on, and talking about like the one thing that sucks about putting hard numbers to quotas and things like that around who you hire is that like the best people don't control what they are. And so like, you know, if you have like five really good candidates for a job 
and you you you're like, well, this per we have to have X number of people that are either female, uh, people of color, transgendered, or whatever. Then those people are going to get elevated to the rankings, and the person who is like only black and not black and gay now has that strike against them because they're like, well, we have to fill these numbers. And so Mm -hmm. it just sort of sucks to be uh, in that position. I imagine where it's like the, the you want to be hired on your work. You want to be, and I imagine it's like this for you as an actress, like you want to be picked because you nailed the part, you nailed the character and, and what you're doing and what you're bringing to it is the vision that they want for the project. Um, you would never want it to be like, well, on the flip side, if they were like, well, the guy's blonde, so we have to go with Margot, even though we think she's terrible. Like, we're going to exactly. go with her. Yeah. No, I don't want that. And I'm sure they didn't tell the blonde girl, hey, just so you know, you're only getting this because you're blonde. I'm sure. Yeah. They no, didn't tell I'm her sure that. She was a great actress, too, though. Yeah. I, you know, like, she didn't make it to the end just because she was blonde. Yeah. So, well. Maybe. I hope not. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe that's why it didn't air. Yeah, it's so funny too, because I was like, you know, I, I look at roles and I just go, I wonder when when is the redheaded when is the chubby redhead thing gonna come in? And the problem is I'm just like 30 years too old because they love us as child actors. Like if I would have been like you look at all of these shows, there's so many like chubby Disney redheaded child always actors. Always has a ginger chubby kid. Always. Yeah. Nickelodeon, Disney. You know, I look at my parents and go, y'all should have brought me to Hollywood when I was five. I would have murdered it. But I wasn't, (laughs) I was, I was skinny as a little kid. So I would have slaughtered these people. Yeah. I would have, I was like, you know, I would have been great. You know, now it's, now it's like, I'm, you know, I'm like, what? I could play that kid when he's all grown up, like in a weird butterfly effect. Yeah. Or I could play his dad. Exactly. <laughs> oh, it's so gross to think I'm old enough to be playing dads now. Yeah. Hey, no, it's just, it's not though. The age range, dude, the age yeah. range. I just got, I booked a part for 16 the other day. It's does like, that feel, does that feel weird like, for you to play like that young? Uh, just give me a sports bra and I'll figure it out. <laughs> Yeah, I'll be fine. You know what's funny? That's the same mentality I have. Give me a sports bra and I can probably <laughs> knock out most parts. No, it's just, <laughs> I can do it. I, I'm fine. I can, I feel like it's harder to play up than down. Really? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Because there's a sense of, yes, I'm mature for my age, but there's still a sense of life that I haven't gotten to experience yet yes it's when the light begins to die from our eyes a little bit and we get a little (laughs) bit more withered and worn and run down you don't have that yet (laughs) exactly i still have a decade (laughs) i still got hope yeah so and drive so like it's weird sometimes playing someone that's like way older than me like i don't know it's like give me the makeup i'll play a mom I'll yeah, figure it out. You don't have the bitterness yet. Yeah. <laughs> is there is there something like that that you think um like in terms of roles is there is there something in your head of like this is the the ultimate role I want to do at some point? Honestly, there isn't. I I mean, of course I want to win. I want to film something that I can win an Academy Award. Yeah, of course, everybody wants that. But 
there isn't something I can put my finger on because acting is so fun where I, I have the best job in the world. I don't have to go to school and I can go be a doctor. I can go be a scientist, an astronaut. Like I can do anything. I could be um, someone working their butt off shift to shift to shift. Like, you know, like I can do anything. Mm -hmm. And I think that's such a blessing that I never have to just be unsatisfied with just one role is I can be the bully and I can be the victim. Yeah. There's so, but I think the dream, what do you, what would you prefer? What do you like would be booking a TV series where I can just work every day on set. Do you like drama more or comedy? Because I think I feel like you have more of a. Uh, I think you're more playful in person than maybe some of your roles like showcase so far. For oh, sure. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, I I've really only gotten I haven't gotten to play much comedy. I've only yeah. gotten to really do. I've been the comedic relief in films, but not a big enough role where it's like, yeah, I had to memorize like six days worth of writing. Like, mm-hmm. no, it was like a three day shoot. I was in, I was the comedic relief and I was out, but I like drama. I love watching drama. So I'm sure I'd be, I'm, I enjoyed doing acting drama, play. I'm sure you get this question all the different. time. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Comedy just hits different. It does. Well, I also feel like, you know, it's weird too, because when people talk about like, what are, what's your favorite movie of all time? I feel like people always go to um, dramas or yeah, I've watched my- the movie Grown Ups like a hundred times. That's your go-to Grown Ups? Honestly, yeah. it sounds crazy, but yeah. It, it Adam Sandler, man. Here's a funny, here's a funny question that we'll go with. What's a movie that you love that you're embarrassed to tell people that you love? Because I feel like we we all have like our guilty pleasure movies or even a TV show. Like, what's something you love to watch that you would be embarrassed to tell people that you watch or that you like? Uh, ooh. Mm. I think we have to block out reality TV too because that's one of the easy go tos. Because like mm-hmm. I could easily just be like Keeping Up with the Kardashians. I never miss. No, that show, is. But- that move, that show is so funny. You can't hate on it. Yeah. You it's so funny. It's also um, really it's also really funny if you go back and watch all the old episodes with Bruce knowing where Bruce then Caitlin ends up. Like it's kind of like when you watch a movie and there's like a twist ending and you're like I got to go back and watch from the beginnings like all of the if hate- I saw it coming. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so now like I want to go back and watch all of the questions. Like, let's see if we can spot where this started. Exactly, because you hear their stories where they say they like walked in and like yeah. trying on clothes, you're like, Where did I miss it? Yeah, there's and there's also like so many scenes where they'll like walk into a room and Bruce is sitting there, like, What are you doing? And he's like, Nothing, not just shitting here with my thoughts. It's <laughs> like and you're just like, what was he doing before they like? Why does he look panicked when other people walk into the room suddenly? <laughs> and then you start to like put it together, like, oh, maybe that's what it was. I think my guilty pleasure right now is I'm watching. I don't know why, 
but this home organizing show. Oh, the oh yeah, I watched that. The one on Netflix. Those ladies that go in and just organize everybody's house. Yeah. That's a good that's a really that one is like super addictive because you watch those episodes and you're just like, "Oh, I'm a slob because I don't have drawer organizers in all of my drawers." I'm like, "Do I need to buy scarves just to do the donut roll?" Yeah, the whole like and then now that we're remodeling our house, I'm like, do I need to buy shoe cabinets? Like, do I need to have sh- drawers for each individual? I sh- wish I could take. I wish I could take this computer and show you this clock. You might actually no, you can't. Oh, maybe you can. Do you see what's on the top shelf there? Those are shoe. Uh, those are the shoe boxes you're talking about. I hate so you. all of the shoes in our closet now are drop-down plexiglass shoe boxes that you can put shoes in and take them out. It makes it look like you have your shit together. Well, we used to just have a pile of fucking shoes in front of this closet. <laughs> and I was like, we look like pieces of... Sh-. And when, we, when I do the podcast, when people, like, when we're not socially distanced and people come over, like, they sit sort of, like, right on this edge with this microphone, Right. And so that's where the pile of shoes used to collect in front of this closet, the coat closet. And now it's like, there's this huge clear floor space and we have all these nice plexiglass shoe holders. And yes, we look like we have our shit together. Kind of. Kind of. So, you know, yeah, those it's weird how you kind of attach to those things. There's also a part of me that's sort of like, how the fuck did somebody realize that this is a business and a job of just like going into other people's houses and being like, let me show you how to organize. Like, let me be OCD in your house. Yeah. And just like, I can go over to my friend's houses and like clean their stuff better than I can clean my own. Yeah. So I kind of get it, but I'm obsessed with it like too much, but I, I don't know if I necessarily, I'm guilty, like feel guilty about it, like guilty pleasure. I would tell anybody what I'm watching. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to think like, what is something, what is a movie I love that I can tell you what a movie, what's a movie I love that people don't understand why I love it is the movie Vanilla Sky. That's actually the painting print that I have right back there. Um, But no, that's, that's like one of my all time favorite movies. And uh, I'd say that one and Fight Club are probably my two favorite movies. Fight Club, that's of like, all time. Yes, but they're very yeah. night and day. Like when, so when people ask like for your top five, but I always put in, I always like put comedies in too. And back when Netflix had like five star ratings, I used to determine if I would rate a movie off of whether or not like a five for me would be that I uh, it left like an emotional impression, so it either had to make me laugh out loud or cry um to for me to give it like a five and so i try to think of the movies like that that i would say are like my all-time favorites they've got to be ones that evoke one of those two emotions moved you yeah 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 because anything else is just like it's it's okay that's not not as good yeah it's like oh that's clever that's cool but you know um, I was going to tell you, I have one idea for a role that I think you would be perfect for, and I'm going to put this out there in the universe so that if it comes true, I can take credit for it later. It. I, I think you should play Ronda Rousey in her biopic. That's who I think. I think, have you, have you gotten that before? Yeah. So you're, so you're from South Dakota. 
I think the resemblance is very close. Yes. And um, and I also think that would be such a fucking cool role for somebody to play. That would be dope. I would love to. That would be. Let's make that happen somehow. Yeah. We'll, we'll go get producers together, and maybe what I'll do is I'll just forward your shit to. I know somebody that knows her, and be like, you should tell Rhonda that she should produce her own biopic and use this girl as the actress that plays her. Do it. Okay. So <laughs> one time, I would I called an Uber from the mini target in Burbank. Oh yeah. I know where that is. The overall yeah. Hollywood way. Yeah. So yeah. I, do we have to do another podcast sometime? Not that I'm inviting myself back, but I want to use your microphone. <laughs> no, for sure. Um, use my what? Do it. Yeah, for sure. Well, it's, it's also, it's also weird in this time that we're like practically neighbors and we're like, see you on the computer. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, I was leaving that target and I called an Uber and I got in the Uber. This was before Corona. So she could see my face and I got in and she was like very like excited, nervous. And she's like, you're Ronda Rousey, right? And I was like, <laughs> she's like, can I have your autograph? And That's I was awesome. like, I would so be all over this, but how do you spell her last name? Oh, that's funny. Yeah, I was like, I would totally fake this. In well, a lot of, and a lot of people don't remember that she doesn't spell it like Rhonda normally. She spells it with no H. Well, I knew that. The yeah. dyslexic in me remembered that. Yeah. But, yeah, I was I was like, shoot. No, I'm Margot Quinn. Nice yeah. to meet you. <laughs> I've done that before. Uh, I've done that before when I was younger, and it's it's. It, I'll I'll do you one better where it's even worse where you mistake somebody is when you do it with a black person. It's even more fucking terrifying uh, when you realize that you thought somebody was n- uh, someone different from who they are. I was like in high school, and we went to see the this these two bands that we loved, and one of them, like we knew the members of the band, like we had hung out with them before, and so. Uh, but the singer of this other band that we like was also a black dude with long dreadlocks. And so we got, I got them confused. Like when I was talking to them from a distance and like getting closer and I was like, Oh wait, that's not Jared. That is definitely not who I thought it was. (laughs) But the funny thing was, was that he his name was Elias and he's, he's the singer of this band in nonpoint, but I had gotten them mixed up. And, uh, and the funny thing was Elias just played along with it the entire time. Uh, and I was just like, dude, you can't leave me hanging like that. Like you gotta like you gotta bail me out at some point, man. <laughs> I was like, how long do you let this go before I feel horrible? And I and I brought it up. I saw him at a concert like a few years later and brought that story up to him. I was like, Do you remember that? Like, why did you never correct me? And he was like, dude, that shit happens. That shit happened on that tour all the time because it's very rare that metal bands have like black singers with long dreadlocks. And it just so happened that there were two bands on tour that both had black singers with long dreadlocks. And uh, and then the next tour that he was on was also with like a, a heavy metal band that was fronted by a black singer with long dreadlocks, the band Seven Dust. And so he's like, that shit happens to me on every tour that I go on. Like people think I'm Lejean from Seven Dust. They think I'm, you know, so it's like it was one of those kind of funny things. Um, like long term, it was kind of funny because I was like, okay, at least it's not just me because I felt horrible about it when it happened. Yeah. But it is one of those moments where you're just like, 
and I think that happens all the time where you'll hear people like, oh, that's so and so. And you got to be like, no, that is not, that is not who that you think that is. <laughs> yeah, no. My, my parents do that. They're like, oh, I just saw a famous person. I'm like, no, you didn't. I yeah. saw that person too. And, like, and the and the weird thing is, is like you actually when you do see super mega celebrities, you often see them in places that you wouldn't expect, like uh, where and it's also just very weird. Walking into pickup sticks, <laughs> I was like, "What the heck?" I was like, "I did not think I'd see you here." The one on Coldwater? No, in Studio City. Yeah, or is it on Laurel Canyon? I I think it's Laurel Canyon. The one that's by like the little key, the little yeah. place where keys made. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's so random. Like I I I met Jay Leno at Philly's Best in Burbank. Like he just pulled up to pick up lunch in one of his old like 1930s automobiles, just wearing all denim, and just walked in. It was like me and another comedian eating lunch. That was his uniform. Yeah, he basically wears that all day, every day. I've and, seen him so many times. And the crazy thing is the comic I was having lunch with, my buddy Will, and he knew Jay from doing spots at the uh, Comedy and Magic Club in Hermosa Beach. And so he just like invited him over and Jay Leno just like sat there with us talking comedy for 10 minutes. That's you know, so while great. everybody's sandwiches got cold, which is wild. I mean, the cool thing is like you realize that like everybody, they're all, we're all just people, right? Like, and yes, there's a huge socioeconomic separation. But for the most part, everyone I've met is really cool. And the the crazy thing is, is like the people that seem um, maybe a little difficult or hard to work with are often very cool. And then there's often the cases where the people that seem very cool in interviews and stuff are actually not very cool. Like horrendous. Name names, Margo. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah. I'll take him to the grave. Yeah, there's there's some. I'm trying to think like who is somebody I met that was like a. To- I don't think I've ever. I don't think I've ever bumped into anybody that was like a total fucking piece of shit. Uh, I can't think of anyone off the top of my head that jumps out where I'm like this person was a. Oh, I do. Nope. Now I got one. I got <laughs> one. But, but if I, t- I'll tell you when we're done uh, broadcasting. But I'll tell you if I tell you who this person is, you're gonna go. Oh yeah, no, she seems like a piece of shit. Like you would never. You would never, this person's not a surprise that they're kind of a piece of shit, but, uh, but yeah. There's so many like that. But the thing, you know, there's the, just a lot of druggies. Yeah, that part's tough too. A lot of cokeheads. It's like, yo, lay off the coke, guys. Yeah, it's not 1987. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a lot of that. There, and that's, um, that's kind of like sad in a way. And, so and you see more of that shit in comedy, I think, than in acting. Maybe not. But like, I mm-hmm. feel like there are a lot of comedians that feel like having a cocaine problem is a rite of passage because so many of the greats had it. Like, you know, Pryor, Richard Pryor had a big problem with cocaine, obviously. And, uh, you know, um, Mitch Hedberg with heroin. Well, there were so many like great comedians that died from drug use, but it's like, you can be a great comedian and not kill yourself with drugs there are a lot of them that really? didn't do that too yes i've i opioids and just in the acting business are very common you'd be surprised i've had a couple friends overdose from it and you're they're writing music on hit movies i yeah. mean they're just 
it's crazy. It's sad. How do you, do you feel like coming from the Midwest and it sounds like you're very tight with your family. Do you feel like that helps you kind of navigate some of that shit? Absolutely. It's, I think a lot of these people, I mean, even though a lot of them have come from outside of LA, they've kind of turned into LA yeah. and let LA change them and mold them to what they think they're supposed to be. A hundred percent. Yeah. And they haven't really, they lost sight of who they really were. And that's what made them so great was the fact that they weren't LA. And I don't know. I think it can be really messy, but I having my family has, I'm very family oriented and I keep my people very close to me and I think that LA has a lot of bad voodoo. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've always explained it to people like this is like, you just kind of got to find your tribe. Like, you know, I think the tough thing about LA is like, I think when people move here, the hard thing they have to realize is the friends that you think you want to have might not be the best ones for you. Exactly. Like you think since I'm in the acting business, I have all my acting friends. Yeah. I have like maybe one or two friends that are actors. It's the same for me with comedians. Like there are a lot of comedians that I'm friendly with or that I like their work or that I'm exactly. in, like, you know, we're, we're very, yeah. And we're, we're like amicable, but I would never call them my friends and nor would they be like, that guy's my friend. But, um, and then the crazy thing is, is the comedians and stuff that I have become super good friends with that I would like, like show up to bail out of jail if they needed it are people that I never thought I would be friends with when I first moved to LA because we were so different personality wise back then. And then as you like age through the business together and your lives take different turns, sometimes you end up at the same place with people that you never thought you would have. And that's, what's so cool about this. This is what I told people about living in LA, but also my time driving like Uber and Lyft and doing that stuff is like, you have the possibility in this city to meet people that you otherwise never would have in your life. And like during the years I, I drove Uber from like 2013 to 2019. Um, and like in some capacity, like whether it was like a couple days a week or like seven days a week I, in that time, I probably met like half a million people in the city over those years that I otherwise would have never met. Like, and not just people from LA, but people from all over the world. That's the coolest thing about LA is that there is so much culture as much as it's like very set in its ways of keeping people in their box and like how being cookie cutter. um, There are so many different types of people compared to the Midwest. I mean, even food, (laughs) I can go to so many different types of foods. Yeah. Like I can go to Korean barbecue. I can go to ramen. I can go to sushi. I can go to Mexican. It's like in the Midwest, I don't have culture like that. I know. Well, and you know, if you're lucky enough to live in a place that has a suit, like I think I've been to the sushi restaurant in the entire state of South Dakota and it ain't good. (laughs) Do not wait. 
Do you know? Don't waste your time. If you can't yeah. see an ocean, don't eat the fish. Yeah, exactly. There's yeah. the yeah. It, the the Midwest is good for beef and beef. Uh, you can yeah. eat. The only thing I miss More. from the Midwest More. is Culvers. Oh my gosh! I want Culvers at my wedding. <laughs> Culvers. Can you explain Culvers to people? They're just like, "What is it?" And you're like, "What is it?" Get on a plane. I'm like, guys, let's go get concrete mixers. And they're like, what is that? You're going to get a truck? And I'm like, no. Yeah. Or just the idea. Also, too, I feel like Culver's is the opposite of Los Angeles food in the sense of like, these are called butter burgers. And they're just like, that sounds unhealthy. You're like, it absolutely is. But it's also delicious. It's not your in and out If you like in and out I don't know how. Okay, good. I'm glad we agree. No. No, no, Culver's we do agree. Rips in and out. Yeah, in and out on the list of burger places, uh, <laughs> I would put in and out like number 10. I would say in and out is not great. But I would say Culver's, I would put Culver's probably in my top three oh, of like fast food burger places. It's my like top two, one. Have you had their chicken tenders? I've had ever <laughs> have I had their the, all, the honey yeah. mustard you see, is your camera yeah. broken you can see me right there's very little in the world i haven't had okay yeah. i can understand if you're like if you had their salads i'd be like that's a fair question and the answer is no but <laughs> i haven't had those salads. yeah no have i had their chicken tenders yes of course i remember when the when it oh so i lived in austin minnesota like southern minnesota not very far from south dakota um and I remember when Culver's first opened in our town and I didn't know what it was. And we went and I was like, oh, this is the shit. Also, for me, the go-to with Culver's is the patty melt because there's something about a butter burger being put on buttered toast with melty cheese and bacon and all of that good shit. And that, to me, like that is the epitome of, of like fast food. Oh my gosh, my friends back home will... Snapchat me pictures of them having Culver's just to ruin my day. Oh, those bastards. Yeah. Those are not friends. Because they friends. know I love it so much. And uh, there's another chain they that we have, have out there. That, At least we have Chick-fil-A. Yeah, Chick-fil-A is good. We all, the, uh, did you grow up on Taco John's? <laughs> Potato Olays. Oh, yeah, there you go. Yeah, so you know it. You know I it. know the goods. Yeah, Taco. It was <laughs> funny, man. Like, I remember uh, I I was unfamiliar with Taco John's because I moved to Minnesota in high school, and so I only knew Taco Bell. And in my town, the Taco John's was across the street from the Taco Bell. And I remember like all of the kids at free lunch period would go to Taco John's, Taco and it was like John's. me and one other kid would go to Taco Bell. But it's more expensive than Taco Bell. Yeah, for sure. Um, but I just yeah I remember that of being like the the weird Taco Bell kid in high school because I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know we and we also you also had to like cross the street to get to Taco Bell and it was like the light was way down from where it was and so you had to like run across this busy street. So you know it was uh, we were rebels. Soda. So did you go to Zorba's? No, no, I don't think. Oh, it's a pizza place. The only the only real pizza place. the only pizza that I remember from Minnesota that was like a big Minnesota thing was um, 
we, we had Godfathers there, which we don't have here, um, which everybody loved. And they, anytime we did like uh, pizza days at school or something, it was always Godfather's pizza, which was pretty. It's like it's not good, but I can remember down to like the texture exactly how it tasted. Like it has a very sort of like Little Caesars consistency of like if somebody hands you a slice of Little Caesars and you're blindfolded, yeah. you will know right away that that's Little Caesars pizza. And Godfather's is the same way. There's almost like it always tastes reheated. <laughs> Godfather's pizza, like it never tastes like fresh it always tastes like they cooked this and then it got cold and then they cooked it again and that's what godfather's tastes like that's awesome um Um, have you heard of casey's pizza i think so is that the is that the gas station pizza yeah 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 i used to to live off of that shit when we would do like (laughs) shitty one-nighters in south dakota north dakota so there's like probably not there's probably not a small town in North Dakota that I have not done comedy in, uh, in 2008. Like I, we would drive into places where, where it was like, no, I'm dead serious. I, I would say, huh? Have you been to Wapiton? Maybe I'd have to look at it. Uh, we've done devil's Lake. Uh, we've done Esmond, North Dakota, which is like super tiny. I mean, Bismarck, Fargo. I'd have to go back and look at my. So there's a website called Sonic Bids, which is like uh, what used to be for like electronic press kits for bands. And they used to have a, a, a integrated calendar for your websites. And I would, uh, I, if I could go back and pull that up, I could tell you every bar we ever did in North and South Dakota. We did a bunch in South Dakota too, but not nearly as much. You had to have got the Sioux Falls. Oh, for sure. Sioux Falls, definitely. Sioux Falls. That's like the Minneapolis. Um. <laughs> well, it's like the Rochester. Let's be honest. It's not quite a Minneapolis. It's more like the Rochester of South Dakota. <laughs> I used to, I used to, when I was a district manager for Hollywood video back in the day, I had stores in South Dakota and I would take that five and a half hour drive from Minneapolis to go to those stores. Um, and then spend five and a half. Which way were you taking? It is well, first of all, just because there's 80 mile an hour speed limits, uh, doesn't mean you go a hundred, even though I know that's how most people in South Dakota drive. Yo, it's 80 for a reason. <laughs> I remember driving on those highways in like the middle of winter when there was tons of snow and ice on the ground. I was just like, I'm gonna die doing this. This is not, oh, safe. yeah, oh, yeah. Or the black ice on a dirt road, that's something else. Yeah, that's not good either. Uh, and those are the only kind of roads you have in South Dakota. Dirt. Yeah. Yeah, those are the only yeah. roads you have in South Dakota. I had a friend that used to make fun of me in high school, and he goes, our teacher got so mad at him. He was like, uh, we were talking about like state trees and state like birds and animals. He was like, I just moved, still the transfer kid. He's like, yeah, I know the state tree in South Dakota. And I was like, do I don't, I don't even know that. What is it? He goes, a light pole (laughs) or telephone pole. And I was was, like, that was his bit. I was like, what? I was, I laughed so hard. My teacher's like, that's so mean. That's probably true though. I know. I don't even know what it is. Your airport, airport, anyone who hasn't been to South Dakota should fly there one time (laughs) just to see the airport because it literally looks it looks like a soundstage. It literally just looks like a series of sheds that they built 
a landing strip next to. Stop. It's so it's bad. Like, it's seven gate or no, it's eight gates in six, seven, and eight are on the same gate. Right. <laughs> just a little cement. Well, we don't want to have a five gate airport, so let's just put three all at the same place. Yeah. Gotta make it practical. Yeah, I've done I've done stuff in Sioux Falls and Rapid City, South Dakota. Um about wall. Wall, South Dakota. Wall I'm trying Doug. to I'm trying to look like South Dakota, North Dakota to figure out all of the I mean, this could be a long thing. But yeah, there are so many like Beulah, North Dakota. Um what else? I did uh Bisbee. North Dakota, which is like on the Canada border. Um, Yes. So many small, like places where you go in and you're like, the guy who owns the bar is also the sheriff and the mayor. Like, Oh yeah. He owns the six other buildings around here. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like, but, and people always ask me, they're like, you've done comedy wherever. Like what's the scariest place? Like, like Compton or like, you know, the Bronx or, or like Washington Heights in New York. I go, no fucking middle of nowhere, North Dakota, because (laughs) if somebody kills me out there, you'll never find my body. My friend's dad always used to say, we could go kill one of your boyfriends, burying him, bury him in the corner. No one will ever find him. him. Never find him. Like I remember, I remember one time we were up there and I was the comic I was touring with like the guy who owned the bar who was like also the sheriff's daughter was very pretty. And he was like, he's like, I'm going to try to bring her back to the hotel. And I, you better not. We're going to get fucking murdered. Like, yeah. You'll be there forever. Yeah. Don't be that guy. Don't be stupid. Let's just, you know, let's just do our time. Go stay. <laughs> our, let's just do our time. Go stay at our little motel that has screen doors on the doors. And and, Thinking about the mosquitoes. Yeah, let's get our let's get our thousand dollars worth of pay and get the fuck out of here. Um, here's a fun story. We'll we'll close on this. Do you have any um, do you have any sort of like supernatural type stories from living in that part of the country? Because I will share one. Super- Another comic and I name and we swear to this to this day. I don't have any like I saw alien stories or anything like that. But I am one hundred percent sure that another comic, dude named Daryl Horner and myself, saw a thunderbird in the middle of the night one night while we were driving through North Dakota. And I don't know if you're familiar with thunderbirds; they're talked about mostly in Native American culture. Oh yeah. Um, but a thunderbird is basically not a Ford Thunderbird either. That would be a really shitty cop out. <laughs> um, no, I mean like these birds, you know allegedly have like wingspans that are over 20, 30 feet wide. And I'm not shitting. We were driving. This was on the way to Esmond, North Dakota, which is like, as you're driving up there, it's all wide open sort of farmland. And we Probably. literally, yeah, we, we like felt this. Yeah. You know, sometimes if you're under a low flying plane, you'll feel the shadow of that plane kind of creep up on you, even if you don't hear it. Um, but we kind of felt this sort of like, shadow coming behind us and as we looked over i'm not shitting a bird that was three times as wide as the truck we were driving in uh just like flew overhead um and then just kind of like veered off to the right up into the sky and i was like we both looked at each other like what the fuck was that 
Was uh, it an eagle? No, no, it wasn't an eagle. It was, it was clear. So we looked this up. Like, what is that Native American bird that all the totem poles have? And it is a thunderbird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're considered very, you know, like very spiritual things. And and That's- a lot of people think it's like mythological or folklore. But that. That was like probably the scariest sort of supernatural thing that ever happened in all of my time traveling the country. Because it kind of felt like that bird could have literally just picked up our truck and fucking thrown it across the, you know, it was huge. Holy crap. Yeah. Did you ever see anything like that living out there? No, I just saw a bunch of corn. Oh, okay. Well, then I guess. (laughs) Thanks for backing me up on that. You should have, you should have, that's where you're supposed to like put on some sort of headdress and be like, I know a hundred percent. So my brothers and sisters back in South Dakota, they always, always worship the Thunderbird. <laughs> now you don't have to lay it on that. Uh, it's so, it was just so creepy, but it's funny too, because I know Daryl's going to see this episode. He's going to be like, dude, we fucking saw it. And we <laughs> saw it. We saw it, and then we went back and told a bunch of other comedians that we saw it, and they're like, you guys are fucking crazy. And then two other comedians named John Lewis and Chris Maddock uh, went out there, and they fucking said they saw it too. So, and they might have just been they might have just been messing with us, but <laughs> we know we saw it for sure, and it was it was some scary shit. So there's either a guy out there with some kind of weird Wright Brothers costume that he flies around <laughs> in at night, or Thunderbirds are real. It's one of those two things. We'll let the audience decide. I guess so. <laughs> uh, Margo, uh, I can't say thank you so much for, or thank you enough for doing the show today. Um, do you have anything you want to plug before we get out of here? You guys can follow me on my Instagram. It's the Margo Quinn. Yeah, I've got it right here. Uh, boom. The Margo Quinn on yeah, Instagram. Yeah. They can find you there. Uh, do you have any any kind of cool projects coming up? For I, mean, I guess it's hard to like promote stuff right now because you have no idea when and how things are going to release. Yeah, I booked a film that's going to be filmed in Vegas. I have a small part. They're flying me in pretty much just to say a few lines and cry on cue. So it's it's not too big, but <laughs> sounds like a Wednesday for me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but nothing too crazy right now just because of COVID. But I have a lot of stuff planned for next year. Well, that's exciting. That's good. Yeah. There are okay. A lot of things are trying to move it to next year, just hoping that everything's okay. Exactly. Well, we'll see, right? I mean, who knows? The next, I think, you know, this ramp up to the end of 2020 is going to be pretty crazy. So we'll see what happens you know, between now and then, at least in our little neighborhood, we're kind of tucked away from the, the insanity a little bit, a little bit, but, uh, you know, that could all change. Let's just hope that Burbank PD doesn't do anything fucking ridiculous and They're driving it. around with their Jeeps. Yeah. We just, uh, hopefully we can avoid any kind of severe, um, of apocalyptic course. stuff happening. Cause the last thing, you know, it's, I, I, I love apocalypse movies. I definitely don't want to live in one. Yeah. Not by my house. Yeah, that's more. Yeah, where your our neighborhood. Well, more your neighborhood than my neighborhood. But your neighborhood is always the neighborhood they use for like nice suburbs in sitcoms. Yeah, because uh, it looks like everywhere else in America. It's like the little hole in the wall. It's like the perfect 
Midwesty kind of vibe because it's like nothing like the rest of LA. Which yeah, I it's love. like very. It looks very Leave It to Beaver. It looks very like Brady Bunch over there. Exactly. So perfect. Well, thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Of course. Well, I'll have you back on again. Well, I'm sure there'll be more crazy stuff to talk about over the. (laughs) Give it a minute. Place my life tonight. Chased all my friends away.